someone asked the question of like, how many ransoms have you paid using Bitcoin? And she goes, 30, 35, thousand wow and there were like audible gasps in the room this is just money transfer to save a life yeah and removing the government from well we don't want you transferring money into sudan because you might be funding terrorism it's like screw all that i'm saving my family ransom yeah right like so it's like the government again just using that as an example the government is saying you can't save your family members using our system yeah but now there's this thing called Bitcoin. And if you really want to save your family member, you can use Bitcoin and no one can stop you. You're listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. I'm Ian. That's Keon, and, and we're, we're the, the Recephies. My husband loves Bitcoin, and once a week, I let him talk my ear off about it. Yeah, I'm a real cheap date. Cheap, maybe, but it's a lot of work. If I'm going to do something, may as well do it the best way possible. And Flirting with Bitcoin is audience-funded without ads or sponsors. Mm-hmm, this ain't your grandma's podcast. This is Podcasting 2.0. But we can't do this for free, babe. We have Bitcoin to buy and a new mouth to feed. <laughs> See? Our son agrees with me. If and when people enjoy the show, they can support us by giving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever they're listening. They can share episodes on their social media, and of course, they can send us some money. Obviously, I prefer Bitcoin, and the best way to send us some is through our two favorite apps, Strike and Fountain. Ah, let's explain how that works at the end of the episode for anyone curious. Sure, babe. But I still like real money, and so if you want to support us... Babe, babe, Bitcoin is real money. Sure, but if you want to support us with old school money, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and subscribe. We offer monthly and yearly subscriptions that come out to less than a dollar an episode. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show to cash in on our bounty program. Make that money, honey. Y'all ready? Hey, Keon, you ready, baby? Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Manda. Hola to Spain. Guten Tag, Germany. Hello, Canada. Hola, Argentina. Oi. UK. Hola, Brazil. Buongiorno, Italy. Sawadi, Thailand. Hola, Portugal. Portugal gained one percentage point. They were at one, now they're at two percent. Congrats to Portugal. Thanks for joining us. I don't know what's going on in Portugal, but come join the fun. Uh, And howdy to Texas. And howdy to Texas. Babe, what time is it? The current time is 788-820, and we're approximately 1,139 blocks since our last episode. And if I give you a dollar, how many acres could I get on sunny Bitcoin Island today? You could get 3,594 acres for $1. All right, so while we're on sats, what are the other conversions? Like, what is it? Like, beef, eggs, those types of things? Yeah, we got, like, our own little CPI over here. Consumer, Consumer pricing, pricing index. index. Yeah. yeah. So 7,200 Satoshis for a dozen eggs, 16,000 Satoshis for ground beef, and 8,600 Satoshis for a gallon of gas. So it's gone up a little because the price of Bitcoin has gone down just a little. We've come down over the past week. And interestingly enough, our farmer's market opened back up and we went to our farmer and she did increase the price of a dozen eggs from six to seven dollars. And she said that last year she was really grappling with it and they didn't do it last year, but that with all the increased costs and production and those types of things, they just had to increase it a dollar. Yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, we still bought it and we bought a dozen eggs from that. It's still cheaper than the grocery store. 
Still cheaper than the grocery store. Okay, it's time for shout outs. Uh, we shout out all boosts that were over 500 sats. And this past week, we got uh, boosts from Lone Star, Cindy Yo, and Mars Sats. One of the things I wanted to add to our shout outs is our leaderboard. So in Fountain, we can see who's given us sats over the past day, week, month, three months, and a year. And so last week, we got a pretty big boost from PC Fly. Thank you for that. And in my mind, I was like, oh, that must be like the new high score. But in actuality, it was not. But he did jump into the top five for our all-time boosters. So in a particular order, <laughs> our all-time top five boosters are uh, Cypher High, number five, TNT Mom, number four so she's been with us for a while pc fly number three jumped in with basically one boost uh hello there who uh doesn't boost a lot but streams a lot yeah yeah and the number one supporter is gene everett so those are our top five boosters of all time and i just wanted to call out that pc fly stuck in there with one boost so you guys can do the math and figure out what those numbers are but i did want to call out the streaming sats as you know we are on Fountain, we promote Fountain. Fountain doesn't really pay us for the promotion, we just really like the app. Um, and one of the ways that you can pay podcasts are by just sending them a boost. But another way you can pay podcasts is by setting up your account to stream a certain number of sats per minute. Now, as the app stands right now, you can't do that on a per podcast basis, so it'd be across the whole platform. So set your numbers accordingly. But this is a way that I think we could start to normalize what is content worth for podcasters as a whole. And so I just wanted to call that out as I was going through the top five, I realized that like, hello there is a big streamer. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that whenever I pull up the like stream history, it's always like, hello there is in there as like streaming per minute. So um, that's a feature you didn't know about or we haven't talked about. Now, you know, um, it's in your profile settings on Fountain under sats per minute or something like that. I'll probably do the leaderboard announcements like once a month. It's not really important to do once a week unless someone breaks into the top five with one boost. Then we got to like reshuffle the board, right? got to celebrate. So before we get into what you want to talk about this week, I just wanted to talk about what's going on in our personal life. How's it going, babe? You started back up at work. You're no longer a stay-at-home dad. How's it feel? Working dad. Nobody really talks about working dads. They only talk about working moms. People don't usually care about what men go through. I care. Okay. You're a person. You're not people. Yeah. So how's it going? It's fine. You know, I'm back at work Been back for a week. I didn't miss it. And having Keon just makes work like less interesting. Mm -hmm. Like if I had to leave the house and like get in a car and drive somewhere and I couldn't hear you guys all day, it'd probably be a little bit easier to like zone out and like be at work. Mm -hmm. When you mean like you don't hear us all day, do you get jealous? Do you miss us? It's not that I, that I miss you or I don't miss you. It's just that like it's very obvious there is something else I could be doing. Yeah. Before Kian, that just wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. We both work from home. Maybe it was like a day off or something. And it's really like, well, what do I want to do on my day off? Mm -hmm. And now it's like, what needs to get done? Mm -hmm. Because if I don't get it done, Kian's going to demand time and resources and energy to yeah. just keep him happy. We need to be happy. more efficient with our free time. So yeah, that's all. Yeah. It's interesting. 
You know, I had a friend who I used to play a lot of video games with and he had kids and he just kind of told me one day he was like, it's just not important to me. And I get it. Like, I got it then. I, I get it more now. But there's like an update to a game that I really like to play that's coming out on the 11th. And I'm looking at it like, I have no time to play that. <laughs> like, I have zero time to play that game. Well, I will say you still spend a lot of time on Bitcoin. That's just consuming information. That doesn't really require, like, active participation. It's still something that you're devoting energy towards. Well, I do have a podcast. Of- yeah, exactly. So, like, it's prioritizing or, like, shifting priorities or, like, reallocating energy towards the top priorities and knocking some off but um you're still able to do something that interests you yeah no i'm not saying that i can't do something that interests me bt dubs the podcast was your idea yes because <laughs> you're obsessed with bitcoin <laughs> i didn't need, but i didn't need a podcast i know the podcast is different than i think you would still be con- consuming this much bitcoin information no i could be consuming the bitcoin information and not be required to produce a show on a weekly basis yeah, is what i'm saying yeah. like there's editing, there's writing. I know, it's a lot of work. It's work. Even getting Keon to, like, participate, and by participate, by participate, I mean, like, just letting us record is a feat in and of itself, but... Yeah. He's sleeping right now in my arms, so so we're good for now. So we're good for now. We gotta we gotta hurry this episode up. Yeah, um, forty minutes. He's taking forty minute naps. I can't get him to be any longer uh these days. So But yes this hopefully will be a short episode if I can keep Ian under time. Well if you wanna keep me under time, I don't know what this sidebar was about like how I was going back to work. <laughs> I mean, I think the personal experience that we have like coincides with like how we digest the Bitcoin news. We had Keon right when everything the Bitcoiners have been saying is going to happen started happening. Like he was born the day that Silicon Valley Bank crashed. And since then, it's been like a bank crash every other week. Yeah. Right. To your point about like, I'd still be consuming the information, but it's really just like confirmation of the information that you've had up until now. Okay. Silicon Valley Bank crashed. Who's next? It wasn't like what happened. Mm -hmm. It's just like, who's next? And then it was Credit Suisse and then it was uh, First Citizens and 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 who knows who it's going to be this week. But someone's probably going to go out of business this week. It is really bad out there. And it's not like I'm learning about Bitcoin during all of this. I'm not learning what's going on. I'm just like, oh, that's who's next. OK, I can follow it easier because I've put in five the years dots of work. Have been connected. <laughs> yes. OK, so what do you want to talk about this week? This week, I want to talk about uh, the conference that I went to right before I went back to work, the Bitcoin Policy Institute's summit. And without getting into the details of the summit itself, I met a couple of interesting people there. Um, I got to shake uh, Jack Mahler's hand, which is pretty cool. I got to shake Natalie Brunell's hand, which is pretty cool. Um, and I just got to be around like actual Bitcoiners, which isn't normal for me because I'm just in the basement with you. Eventually, you'll be a real Bitcoiner. So, <laughs> damn, I was gonna say that's real. Just you're like I'm just in a basement with you. Well, I mean, like that used to be all you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> this basement is the size of our apartment. It really, our, yeah, our um, place. <laughs> But no, so like I was around a bunch of people who I wasn't explaining Bitcoin to, like they were just telling me what's the cool thing that they're doing with Bitcoin, which is very different. Yeah, it was exciting. And so, yeah, a bunch of cool, interesting people. Um, And then there's basically one particular 
There's one particular project that someone is doing with Bitcoin, which is that they're running a basketball tournament. The minute I heard him say it, I knew exactly everything he was about to say after it, but it was still fun to like hear him like tell me about it. I've been researching it, you know, so we could talk about it on this episode. Yeah, you texted me about it while you were there. Yeah, it was the coolest thing that Yeah, was you there. guys don't know this, but Ian used to play ball. He was on the varsity basketball team in high school. It's a real big deal. No, it's not. It's a real big deal. <laughs> no, he was not. so cute in his little uniform. It was what twenty five years ago. Don't date. Ooh, don't ooh, date. Does me that like hurt? That. I mean, date you. Not Everyone really. knows you're forty. We celebrated on the pod. Um, all right. So now that they just found out about us today, <laughs> 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 let them let them find out I'm forty one next should year. Be proud, <laughs> proud of your age. Um, not everyone gets forty, babe. Every day is a gift, and nothing is promised. Sounds like a Jay Z quote. I know nothing is promised as a um, Rihanna song. Anyways, what else do you want to talk about today? Really just what the Bitcoin Policy Institute is, what I feel like they're trying to accomplish, what I feel like they did accomplish, and how it is the same but different from what's about to go on in Miami. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so I'm going to do this in the opposite order that you presented it. I would like to learn more about like what this actual conference was, what this institution was. So can you explain that to me? Like, who are these people who funds them? Before we get into that, let's just talk about what's been going on in the world with Bitcoin and governments. If you look around the world, you have basically governments now. It's at the government level. You have to make a decision. Are you going to allow Bitcoin to exist in your country or are you going to try to ban it? and like kick it out. And so I, I printed out a list of links. I'll put them all in the in the episode description so you can like go through all of these. It is very obvious who is embracing Bitcoin and who isn't. When it comes to the United States, I don't think it's that obvious yet. And so what the Bitcoin Policy Institute is about is just like any other think tank in Washington, DC, they try to educate lawmakers and their staff to a particular issue. Mm-hmm. And this particular group, the Bitcoin Policy Institute, is doing that for Bitcoin, not crypto. All last year, we had politicians standing up and saying like, crypto is bad. We saw all the things that happened. There's some uh, investigation to be done around the particular politicians that kind of let Sam Bankman-Fried play the game that he played. And I think they're going to get found out pretty soon. But the short of it is that in the United States, it's still kind of up for grabs. Which way is America going to go? But is this group like... At this conference, were they differentiating between the two? Were they explaining that? Yes. Okay. And how was like that, in your opinion, received by the audience? Or was it an echo chamber? I don't think it was an echo chamber. I think there were two things that were accomplished with this uh, particular conference summit. I think they, they called it a summit. Number one, they were very adamant about Bitcoin, not crypto. When you're going to lawmakers and you're saying, hey, we want to talk to you about Bitcoin, And they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. didn't it cause all these problems last year? You go, no, that was crypto. Here are all the problems with crypto, why all those problems happened. But here's also why none of that happened with Bitcoin last year. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the Bitcoin Policy Institute is really striking that chord and making that distinction. Did you like their messaging? Yeah, I mean, it's it's solid Bitcoin messaging. Okay. Now, I, I know like we're probably not listened to by a certain group of Bitcoiners because mm-hmm. we're more for like the newbie listener and someone who's kind of just more in it for the, 
I mean, let's be real. Like we're just personalities. We don't have a PhD in like philosophy or economics or anything like that. Right. But the point is, is that like certain Bitcoiners don't like this. They don't like a government relationship with Bitcoin. It's not that they don't like a government relationship with Bitcoin. They just think that the government doesn't have a say Mm -hmm. like Bitcoin is whether you want to participate with it or not. And while that may be true, one of the articles that I pulled up, we see that the Biden administration is proposing like a 30% tax on cryptocurrency mining and cryptocurrency electricity use, right? So like without an understanding of how Bitcoin like actually helps the electrical grid, someone could actually propose something like that. They make uninformed decisions. You know, I also think the other angle of why it's important for government to understand what Bitcoin is, is that we could become a very wealthy nation if we invest in Bitcoin in the way that El Salvador is, right? Like if we go about Bitcoin mining and building an infrastructure about Bitcoin and bringing Bitcoin industries into America, that would benefit us like 10, 15, 20 years down the line. But if we have politicians that are dismissive of it, there's just missed opportunities. Yeah, we think probably the U.S. government is mining Bitcoin. Like, how much are they? How much, uh, like, focus are they putting on it? Are they just seizing Bitcoin and holding it? Are they walking, like, state governments through? I know, I think Colorado is already doing this, but, like, are they walking through state governments on how it's an asset that they could be holding? Like, it's just, I would want my government to be rich if it could be off of Bitcoin instead of my taxes. That's all true in the sense that Bitcoin is a new emerging technology similar to the internet and you want it to be based inside of your borders. If we're going to live in a world with borders, you want it to be based inside of your borders because you'll reap the benefits of it. The problem is that we already have a system and we already control that system. People get paid from bankers. Mm -hmm. People get donations from bankers. People have run entire campaigns from bankers. Barack Obama's campaign was majority financed by like Wall Street bankers. So like politicians kind of go where the donations come from. If the donors are saying with their donations, don't talk about certain things or you're anti certain things, then they're almost incentivized to not understand Bitcoin. Well, I mean, and that's true for a lot of different policy issues. Right. And so that's like, that's just how America works. That's how democracy works, unfortunately. Right. It's finest. Personally, I think the Bitcoiners that are like anti-state and don't try to educate them and don't interact with them. Like, I understand where they're coming from. And I think on certain areas, like they're right. Even if they impose a 30% tax on Bitcoin mining, it's not going to stop Bitcoin miners. Mm -hmm. It's just going to make Bitcoin cost more. All these things the government might try to do that are negative to Bitcoin Yes, I think Bitcoin will fight it off, but why even have that fight, Mm -hmm. right? If you can just educate enough lawmakers to why they should just leave it alone, let alone like pass bills to benefit it, just leave it alone. Yeah. Don't pass anything that'll hurt it. Don't pass anything that'll benefit it. Just be neutral to this thing and watch what happens. And just being neutral is something that I think a lot of people in the Bitcoin community wish the government would do about a lot of things. Don't try to solve a problem with policy. Just don't do anything Mm -hmm. and let it play out. And I think Bitcoin might be the first thing where it's like, yeah, we tried a bunch of negative stuff against it. It didn't work. The only thing we can do is either support it or leave it alone. Yeah, but I think the tricky part with it is all of the predatory companies that have come out in the crypto space. And even like if someone isn't an informed Bitcoin to the degree that you are, where it's around like privacy and security of, of your wallet, 
there could be a company that's a Bitcoin company that completely scams someone. And I think like that is eventually where the government's going to step in. I'm sure they're going to when it comes to crypto, because there's probably so many Americans that have lost their entire savings and gone into like deep debt because of their crypto gambling addictions, right? How is Bitcoin not going to get looped up in it? Like, I just cannot imagine neutrality being the stance that's taken with a company that says, give me your Bitcoin, I'll hold it for you. Look, I hear what you're saying and you're probably right. Like there's going to be some laws, regulations passed on Bitcoin. The problem is like we have multiple centuries of history of like trying to solve societal problems with policy and it just not working. Mm -hmm. So like, sure, someone has a crypto gambling addiction. No, they have a gambling addiction. We still have casinos, though. Yeah. Someone has an addiction to, you know, alcohol. We still sell alcohol like I could go on a bigger rant of like how people, how I think people get addicted to stuff. But the point is, is that like we have a lot of addicts in our society. And if you get addicted to crypto gambling, it's not crypto's fault. Just like if you get addicted to drugs, women, alcohol, whatever, like women. Yes, there are people that are addicted to women. People get addicted to whatever. There's a whole foot fetish on the internet because people are addicted to looking at people's feet. But I don't see anyone proposing legislation that says like, whoa, we got to do something about this foot fetish addiction. It's a booming economy. It is. There's a hashtag on Nostra. You know, people are just showing pictures of their feet on Nostra. Yes. (laughs) But it's like, it's not a thing that's like shunned. It's like hashtag footster or something like that. And then people's feet just show up. You know, it's uh, it's like that Joe Biden sound clip where he's like, you know what? It's good for the economy. It hurts no one. Benefits everyone. (laughs) Like That's that's like the perfect line to go with footster. (laughs) Basically, right? But you could argue that like that, that sentiment is what I'll say the elites, I hate that word because they're not really elite at all, but like the elites look at all of the addictions like that. Among the elites, it doesn't hurt them if you're addicted to alcohol. It doesn't hurt them if you're addicted to pornography or gambling or whatever. It doesn't hurt them if you're addicted to those things because you're buying those things and they're benefiting and they're making Mm -hmm. money off of it. When Bitcoin comes along and says, hey, if you look at me long enough, there is a high probability that you might break some of those addictions. And there's a lot of evidence of that on social media right now of people who became Bitcoiners, stopped smoking weed, stopped drinking, started working out, started eating better, mended relationships with friends and family. Like, like anecdotal stories that people a lot, about. A lot. Oh, what are they saying? Bitcoin helped them set their priorities because it's a thing that says you have to be patient to reap the benefit. You got a lot of people that are like, I sold all my stuff before the having, mm-hmm. <laughs> in hopes that I would get out of debt, Bitcoin pops, they got out of debt. They've been struggling to get out of debt their whole life because of all those other addictions. And here comes Bitcoin that says, don't waste any money on those addictions. You might help fix yourself. I, you could say it's anecdotal. It's definitely anecdotal. But I see stories like that almost every day on either Twitter or Nostra. I think like people are always asking us to have them on as a guest. But if there was someone who really that happened to them, I would like to interview them on the pod. It happened to me. When did it happen to you? We were living good. What were you addicted to? Babe, it's not just purely like a degenerative, addictive problem. All I'm saying is that it helps prioritize. It helps stack your priorities yes, in the right order. I understand order. that. But I want the, the example that you just described of somebody whose life was in shambles and Bitcoin brought them out of it. That's, that's what I want. 
I will find you the story that I read most recently. Okay. Basically. Ask them if they want to be on the pod. Okay. Yeah. He was on Noster. He posted something. I'll try to find it. Long story short, like the dude came to Bitcoin, figured out what was going on and went from basically having no money in his pocket and not knowing what he's going to do with his life to like now he has a job working at a Bitcoin company is happy. Right? Okay, like that's wonderful, but I'm I'm I thought like getting pulled out of like drug addiction. I can go find one of those. All right, yeah, like that's I mean, what I want. they're there. The one that you actually described. Yeah, I'm not saying I don't believe you. I would just would love to like talk that whole process through. Right. Because so, look, I've said this before. It I I believe in Bitcoin. I believe in what you believe in, but it's very evangelical sometimes the way that Bitcoiners talk about it. And so, like, you know, I just would love to hear it firsthand instead of being told, oh, there's a lot of stories on Nostra or Twitter where people say it. I mean, look. as somebody who's not in that echo chamber, like I'm just saying, I would like to I would like to hear it firsthand from somebody. There are numerous like interview podcasts that do just this. I know I'm saying it anecdotally because it's just you and I talking about it. Yeah. But like if you wanted to find this information, you could. It's not like it's a hidden thing that you got to go digging for. If you want to find people who are telling their story about Bitcoin changing their life, you can just go on the Internet. You can go to Reddit. You can go to YouTube. You can go to Nostra. You can go to Twitter. But there are stories about how crypto changed people's lives for the better, too. Like that same story. Look, I'm not arguing that getting a bunch of money in crypto isn't going to change your life. But is it going to change your priorities? Is it going to break your gambling addiction? Yes, that's the story I want. Yeah. Well, this is my point is that people that are in crypto, I think they're still addicted to gambling. And when they win, you can't tell them anything. You can't tell them that it was your addiction just winning out one time. I've talked to plenty of people who made a bunch of money in crypto. They think they know what they're talking about. And then you hear, talk to them six months later and they lost it all. It's like, yeah, that's what happens to, to addicts and gamblers. Right? You, you get on your high, you think you're smart, and then you lose it all. That being said, but based on what I see in the echo chamber, in about 10 years, just like people talk about or want to have the debate about video games affecting kids television affecting kids and all the things that like we, we analyze technology and how did it affect us i do believe that bitcoin is going to be a thing that's analyzed like that and i do believe there's going to be a lot of positive stories about people who when they actually figured out what it was it helped them identify how they could better their lives and i don't think that someone opening a checking account at JP Morgan Chase is ever going <laughs> to have <laughs> that type of like revelation. Now, whether that's evangelical, evangelizing or not, like, sure. But when I started seeing these stories, I was like, okay, like, that's interesting. It's not like I saw one. I might be up to like easily 50 or 80 now of the same. It's this, it's different people, but it's the same type of story. And that angle, when we talk about like what's wrong with society, and what policies can we like put in place? It's like, if there's something out there that's doing that for us without having to create policy and having to pass laws, let's leave that thing alone. Let's leave that thing alone. And was this angle presented at the summit? Not on stage. Or like, well, I guess yes like no. what you're describing as like, you know, teaching savings. Like this is what it is. Well, yes and no. So I think even for a person who understands savings, like I would use... I would use my dad as the best example of this. 
Um, up until Bitcoin, I would argue that my dad was like the most financially educated person that I knew personally. But even with me learning about Bitcoin now, I feel like on certain angles, I've like surpassed him. Ooh, them fighting words, Ian. It's not fighting words. It's just I have now at least I know one book in particular that I recommended to my dad mm -hmm. that I was like, you know, dad, when I was young, you gave me a bunch of books. And I didn't read them when you gave them to me, but I eventually read them all. Right. And I was like, I think this is one of the books that you missed. I can't blame you for missing it because it's not a book that I'd ever heard about until I came to Bitcoin. What's the book? The name of the book is called Human Action. It was written by um, Ludwig von Mises. He's a Austrian economist. And as I said in the very early episodes of the show, when you lear start learning about Bitcoin, you have to learn about a lot of other stuff. And once I started learning about like Austrian economics and a lot of the writing that has been done about that, to me, that is where forget about like 1971 and Nixon taking us off the gold standard or 1933 and FDR confiscating everyone's gold. Somewhere in the past, there was a fork in the road. It was the creation of the Federal Reserve. There was a fork in the road and America chose to listen. And a lot of people chose to listen to a bunch of people that were just fundamentally wrong in their theories, namely that you can create money and stimulate the economy. And at that time, which I didn't go to college, but I don't think this is taught in college because I don't know any college educated friends that even knew about this guy or this book is that there was a bunch of people at that time that were writing things that were like, no, don't do this. This is a terrible idea. All those people are not talked about. They're not discussed. Their names aren't brought up. And it wasn't until Bitcoin that I started learning all these names and I started reading all their books. And I'm here to tell you, go read everything you can about Austrian economics if you want to understand why everything is falling apart right now. It's all because we just chose the wrong set of smart people to listen to. Now, would we have cell phones today if we had listened to the Austrian economists? I don't know. Ooh. I don't know. I all think, right. So is that the trade up that I was willing to take? Hmm. Well, this is my point is like, I don't know if we would be at the level of like technology that we are today. But I also think that... Wherever we were at, if we had followed the Austrian path, we would probably all be a lot healthier and a lot smarter. Maybe happier? And probably happier. And so to me, I look at Bitcoin as something that as a person who like likes to learn about stuff, it has given me so much to learn that it's like, okay, I didn't go to college. That might have been the best thing for me because my brain was completely willing to just accept, figure out who's the smartest person, not who is my professor. I got to choose my professors and my professors are Austrian economists and a bunch of physicists that are proving Einstein wrong and a bunch of archaeologists that are proving Egyptologists wrong. Like I get to use YouTube and figure out what's true versus having to like unlearn a bunch of stuff that I got a bunch of A's in that I now got to accept the fact that maybe my A wasn't really an A. <laughs> This conversation is blowing Keon's mind. Yeah. <laughs> like you listeners, you can't see his, but Keon like insisted on sitting up. <laughs> well, and it's like, it looks like he's actively reacting to everything Ian's saying. So maybe if your dad had to read these books, I think Keon's ready too. So everything I just said, Keon is going to grow up in a house that operates like that. And the kids across the street are going to grow up in a house that probably doesn't operate like that. And one day they're going to come out their doors and they're going to have an interaction and the kids are going to say something and Keon's going to be the 
the, the meme is going to be like, actually, and they're going to make fun of him and they're going to tell him. My dad said that's not true. They're going to tell him that he's wrong. They're going to tell him that he's crazy. Because, you know, four year olds talk a lot about like the ethos behind printing money. No. <laughs> where, where do stars come? How are galaxies formed? I don't know. I'm not saying a four year old. I'm saying like in their lifetime, if we all stay on this street, mm-hmm. a Bitcoiner household is a very different household. And that's where I think when we look back from in the future, when we look back and we go, what happened? It's like, well, once people started looking at Bitcoin and understanding what it is, they did have to go relearn all this stuff that we basically didn't learn in the last 70 years. I mean, it's already a little different, like as we're trying to approach our friends who have children and they have birthday parties, we're like trying to give them Bitcoin. And they're like, huh? And we're like, this is the best thing you can give your child. Now just take that. already different. And so take that concept and just like scale it up to government. Yeah. Right. So do you want to have the government that doesn't understand what Bitcoin is and doesn't have aids and assistance that are out learning and unlearning all the things that have kind of broken the system? You want people that are learning and trying to figure out how to fix it in the best way possible. And that's what the Bitcoin Institute, bringing it all full circle, is about, is making sure that these lawmakers have the best information on hand for them and their staff to understand why Bitcoin is different from crypto and to understand why Bitcoin as the base layer of our monetary system of not only the United States, but the world can be beneficial, not just to America, but to but to everyone. And I think that was what the the, the summit was about. They And it seems like they convinced you. I mean, I already... Yeah, you oh, were already for this, yeah. But I didn't like, need convincing. So I just any Bitcoin maximalists out there, like you know, hopefully this kind of made you be a little bit open minded to the idea of bringing governments or people that are working with governments, people in the political sphere, um, to to you know include them in these conversations and like the efforts for education. Yeah, I mean, this is really about education. This is about. We want to have people that make policies and make laws that are the best educated people. I would argue that a lot of the people in politics are the best educated at how to stay in politics, which that in and of itself is its own thing you got to learn. But I don't think they're really educated into like how to fix deep rooted problems in our society. And that's just not how our political systems are set up. Like, Yes, they rely on think tanks like this institute. So, you know, they're they're doing their part. And I think this is what the first one they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's only the beginning. Time will tell. And then we have to wonder, like, what will happen as new people enter the political sphere who are Bitcoiners and what those conversations and legislation looks like five years from now. Like, we just you know, kind of have to wait and see. You know, there was one particular panel which I had seen all the people on the panel talk before, but I never actually been sitting in the room when they were talking. Um, it was about human rights. And it was three people and Alice Gladstein, who has been doing a lot of writing and kind of promoting how Bitcoin helps human rights. Well, all three of them's story was just ridiculous. Like, forget about number go up. Like, this is literally saving people's lives. But this one woman, she basically has started a foundation or an organization that uses Bitcoin to pay ransoms of people who are who got kidnapped while fleeing from like war torn. I believe it was Ethiopia and um, that area, Ethiopia, Sudan area. And I'll put a link to her in the in the description. And someone asked the question of like, so like, 
how many people have you saved? Like how many, how many ransoms have you paid using Bitcoin? And she goes, oh, you know, like 30, 35,000. Wow. And there were like audible gasps in the room. Like you could see and hear people like after the gasp, like turn whoever they're sitting next to and be like, oh my God, 30, 30,000. Like what? Like, and so forget about making money from Bitcoin. Forget about that at all. Like, this is literally saving people's lives. And so lives. why is that? Because it was like um, private money transfers were like, it was secure and they wouldn't. Because be the amount of money that the people were asking for, she couldn't get it and sent before they would kill people. Oh. She couldn't get it directly to the people who were asking for yeah. it before they killed people. But with Bitcoin, she could get the Bitcoin and send it directly to the person who was asking for it within an hour. Mm-hmm. And that person would be able to leave and go on and live their life. Yeah. So like it has nothing to do with, oh, I bought it at 10 and sold it at 30. Right. Or like, wait till the having and we're going to be rich. Like that has nothing to do with this yeah. story. It's just the. This is just money transfer to save a life. Yeah. And removing the government from, well, we don't want you transferring money into Sudan because you might be funding terrorism. It's like, screw all that. I'm saving my family. Ransom, yeah. Right? Like, so it's like the government, again, just using that as an example, the government is saying you can't save your family members using our system. Yeah. But now there's this thing called Bitcoin. And if you really want to save your family member, you can use Bitcoin and no one can stop you. Bitcoin. There are a lot of people working on a lot of different things that were just bringing Bitcoin into probably into something that they were already trying to do. Um, and the basketball tournament, I think, probably uh, is the coolest thing that I that I heard there because I had never even thought about paying out a tournament winnings in Bitcoin. It's such a simple thing. It's like it's not complicated. So, yeah, quickly explain it. There's two aspects to it. The first is like the basketball tournament itself. You know, there's a buy. But it's for teenagers. Uh, from what I can tell, it's grown men. Oh, okay. Um, uh, they they did it. Um, this would be the fourth that they've done. It's happening in Atlanta, uh, June 23rd and 24th. But there's the tournament itself, and then there's like Bitcoin education, right? So you came to the Bitcoin Classic, which is the name of the tournament. Ooh, I like that name. And um, so you've come to this thing. It's got Bitcoin in the title, but it's a basketball tournament. And as the game is happening, I don't know, in between games or whatever, but like there's there's things there to educate people onto what Bitcoin is. Cash App, I think, is a sponsor or at least is involved. But if you came to this tournament, you're going to learn about Bitcoin. Okay. I've been to a couple basketball tournaments, um, even some here in D.C. And I mean, the big thing that stuck out to me is the winners never take home any money, right? Like you get the money later, but they don't hand you like a duffel bag full of cash. My kind of tournament. Right, right. So like the biggest thing I think is that. It's like instant payment, instant gratification, showing like Bitcoin means it's your money immediately. Yeah. And on top of that, like. I don't know if this is true or not, but just again, this is where my brain jumped to, which is in those tournament situations, the money usually goes to like one person and then they're responsible for like distributing it to the other players on the team. 
But with something like Bitcoin, you send the oh, money. Oh, yeah, it's a team. I don't know why I was thinking like they're playing a round of horse. <laughs> There's one winner. I mean, they had other they have other competitions like yeah. that. But the main thing is the tournament. Oh, OK. So like this is the same thing as like with us and podcasting, right? You listen to us on Fountain. The money goes directly to us. Doesn't go through a middleman like Spotify or whatever. And we get paid like once a month or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's 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 removing that middleman of like touching your of, of controlling your money. Um, but the other sorry, how cute are Keon's hiccups right now? But like they do a lot of other cool stuff. So in the first tournament, um, I was watching some videos before we started recording, and the guy who started this, Yusef, he was doing an interview. And he said for the first tournament, they were giving like $500 a player for winning. Right. And it was like, we're going to make you a Satoshi millionaire. You're going to end up with a million Satoshis. Mm-hmm. Well, now the payout is like six times as much, I think. So you're walking away with like five million Satoshis if you win a Which basketball tournament. Which remind me how many dollars today. It don't matter. I know. It's five know. million okay. Satoshis, okay. right? Okay, fine. And there's tons of people that don't have one million Satoshi, let alone five million uh-huh. Satoshi, right? And so part of the messaging being like... Stack them sets. You can be a millionaire from a basketball tournament, but you got to understand what you're getting a million of. So that's why it excited you. It's like kind of a gateway drug for Bitcoin. I think it's a gateway drug to get athletes to understand what Bitcoin is and almost to look suspect on anyone who won't pay you that way. Okay. Which I think this is going to play out in every industry from the ground up. What happens when all the farmers say, I won't sell you my food for anything other than Bitcoin? Well, you got to go get some Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. right? Now, you could have got it from playing a basketball tournament, right? Like you could have got it from selling pupusas on the side of the road. Back when it was ten dollars a, a, a Bitcoin, or right? making clips for the flirting with Bitcoin, or podcast. making clips for the flirting with Bitcoin podcast, right? There's a lot of things you could do today to earn a hundred, a thousand, five hundred thousand satoshis, right? But people won't understand how much that's worth until Bitcoin hits a million dollars of Bitcoin. Because once Bitcoin hits a million dollars of Bitcoin, one satoshi is one penny, and then everyone will be able to do the math. And the guy that became a Bitcoin millionaire or a satoshi millionaire. You know, 2021, I think, was when they did the first tournament. When Bitcoin hits a, a million dollars, he's got, what, $100,000 now? He didn't win $100,000 in 2021, but he'll have it in, let's say, two halvings, right? But yeah, so like the other thing that they're doing that's really cool is all of the players have QR codes on their jerseys. And I think, don't, don't quote me on this, but... They're oh, I'm e- quoting you. <laughs> they're either Bitcoin Lightning addresses, which I don't think they are. I, I just think they're Cash App QR codes. Yeah, that makes sense. But even still, that's the cool. same thing. Yeah. So now, in perpetuity, just like our clips, in perpetuity, there are videos of these guys playing basketball on YouTube with QR codes on their backs that link to let's just call it their Cash App account. Mm-hmm. Ten years from now, someone sees one of those clips, they can still send that guy money. Yeah. It goes directly to him still. Hopefully, if he has the same cash app account and all that stuff, right? But assuming all that's true, now people's actions don't need a platform to be monetized, right? Like, people go viral, and then it's like, well, I got to, like, take my virility and then turn it into money. Okay, so, like, side story. Apparently, I actually think this has been happening for a long time. I've just, you know, been off the dating scene. But women, um, when guys are like texting, trying to hang out or holler or whatever it is, 
and they're like, oh, I want to get you this or I want to get you that. They'll just be like, all right, yeah, send me some money. And guys send money. Stupid. But it happens. So wait till these ladies find out about lightning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like if a, if a Bitcoiner is trying to holler at you, ladies, ask them to send you some Satoshis. Or fellas, we, we are equal opportunity here at the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. I, I know didn't come it's a up thing. With it. I didn't come up with it, but it's happening. And then the other cool thing uh, about the summit was just kind of how it started. Um, I was walking in behind this guy. I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to the summit. And he kind of turned into the same building as me. And then he kind of asked the same question I was going to ask. We ended up in the elevator together and we just started chatting. Obviously, he was going to the summit. We get to the summit and we just ended up like sitting next to each other at the summit. We started talking and he was just a cool, smart guy. He He's like a foreign, former foreign service agent. But uh, what he's doing is what I think we're going to see a lot of over the next decade, which is uh, he's starting a company called Bridger Solutions, and they're basically going to Africa and trying to find like stranded energy and strap some Bitcoin miners onto it. And the same game that's playing out in Texas, which is, you know, how do we make these energy projects viable? Well, we put some Bitcoin miners on there until the actual locale is generating the demand and then we take the Bitcoin miners out and go somewhere else. That's kind of what they're trying to do. So uh, Tim and two like former military guys, obviously, I think not the only person doing that, but it was cool to like get to actually talk to somebody who's doing that. His name was Ben Kincaid. He was one of the people on the panel, too. He talked on the um, the energy aspect of of Bitcoin. And so like there were just a lot of smart people there. The guy, you know, how we always talk about like we could like heat the greenhouse or heat the house with a Bitcoin miner. Met a guy who does that. Oh, that's cool. He's right here. I think he's right here in Virginia. Local? I think nice. he's local. At least local, like, you know, D.C., DMV area. Yep. And so I was chatting with him and started getting some ideas just talking to him. Because, like, I know how that stuff works, but I didn't really know how it works. And so, basically, like, I learned that, you know, that system works. You could blow the hot air through the ducts like we would have. Um, but he actually pumps... He uh, heats water and heats his radiator that way. Cool. And so then I got to thinking like, oh, there's like all these old row houses in D.C. that have all the radiator stuff built in. And when they flip houses, they rip it all out. Mm -hmm. What if you left it in and you just heated the house with Bitcoin miners? Like that would be a different angle for flipping houses where you don't have to rip all that stuff out. And so he was like, yeah, you know, like it's a lot easier if you do it that way carry more heat in the water and, and radiate radiant heat is just better than like blown air so it sounds like you had like a lot of interesting conversations with people in the real world versus the internet for once when it comes to bitcoin i'm older so i'm not really a like on the internet type of person to like form relationships but you found your wife on the internet yeah but i talked to you for like maybe an hour on the internet before i talked to you for real in person yeah, yeah. You were you were not wasting any time. Yeah, no, because I don't like talking to people on the internet. Yeah, like, or the phone. No, it's yeah. be a real person, meet face to face, shake hands, look people in the eye, judge body language. Flirt. Judge sincerity, flirt, right? <laughs> and so, um, no, that's why I thought this was really good. And I thought it was good for DC. Like, I talked to a couple people that were definitely not Bitcoiners. And um, one of the guys that I talked to, he was there. His company had sent him there, but he wasn't really a Bitcoiner. I'm paraphrasing. I'm sorry, dude. I forgot your name. But basically, he was like, wow, like you're the first person that like said it like that. Yeah, and, you're a great teacher, babe. 
yeah, I think it was good for people to get some of those stories, especially the human rights stories, and understand that it's not just about like people getting rich. It's not just about like number go up. Oh, we're going to be millionaires. It's really about like the entire monetary system of the world does not work for the majority of the world. And what Bitcoin offers is if you need to move money, a.k.a. value from point A to point B, doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done in the past, what you plan on doing in the future. I don't care who you are, where you're from, don't care what you did as long as you Bitcoin. Yeah, something like that. Well, Kian woke up. We're making a podcast a lot different with a baby. <laughs> yeah, we used to like have the lights down low, made it real romantic down here. Um, we tried to do that today and the purple light like freaked Kian out. He doesn't want to flirt with Bitcoin. He's like, I'm too young for that, guys. Yeah. But yeah, no, the Bitcoin Policy Institute is a think tank in D.C. that is educating lawmakers to Bitcoin, not crypto. And if you're a Bitcoin maxi or if you're like a Bitcoiner that thinks that that shouldn't exist, I understand why you think that and you're not 100% wrong, but it's going to exist one way or another. And we may as well participate and make sure that we agree with what the Bitcoin Policy Institute is educating lawmakers to. And for me, I thought it was great. I thought anybody there who didn't know anything about Bitcoin got a lot of interesting facts in one day. It's a choice that a lot of people are going to have to continually make do i have the energy to have this conversation with people that i'm not necessarily like rooting for or institutions i'm not rooting for but without everyone understanding what bitcoin is there's always going to be fud there's always going to be confusion and misunderstanding and like completing it with crypto so i think you know i appreciate the stance that you're holding and i hope that no one comes for you when we publish this episode and says Ian, you're canceled. Can't be canceled if you don't care. What do you care about, babe? Other than Bitcoin. You know, I care about you and Keon. How you doing, babe? How's how's your back to work? Well, me going back to yeah, work. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Being a stay-at-home mom is really interesting. I think it being temporary is probably a different experience than like if it was permanent it's a it's a wild ride every day it gets a little easier today was the first you know we live in the city so we don't really drive much but i haven't really driven anywhere without kian until today earlier today we did an errand and it was i feel like i was very scared about doing it but i did it and it was great and kian was great so you know we're getting through it we miss you i think he misses you you know this is the first time in my life that i haven't worked for I think more than three weeks that I haven't had a job or classes since I was 12. So it's it's a really interesting experience to not have to like report to an outside entity. You know, I'm kind of just working for myself. <laughs> you got a new boss. I have a new boss. I mean, I don't know. Like Kian is, he's a good baby, but I still feel like I'm in charge. Um, I feel like I'm his mother <laughs> and um, he's just trying to talk to me and we just don't speak the same language yet. So we're figuring it out. But it's I don't know, like, I don't know if you feel this way yet, but like, I feel like our energies are really connected, like literally because Kian was inside me until two months ago. So I feel like I can tell when something's wrong 
and I had that telepathy with him. So it's not so bad, but, you know, but we have just have so much support that um, I feel like if I get overwhelmed, I can reach out to you. I can literally walk upstairs and ask you for help. I just feel bad for you. You miss out on this little guy all day long now and you have to deal with all these other people. And I get to be in this like nice little bubble. It's it's a little isolating. I will say it's a little isolating, but um, it's less isolating because you're home at the same time while I'm doing all of it. I'm right upstairs. Thank God for that. So yeah, I guess like this is the version of Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is to like fiat as uh, staying at home uh, is to working for a company. <laughs> Very much. Yeah, like I'm working for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm making my own baby. Mm-hmm. I made my own baby. I'm investing in my own baby. Mm-hmm. Proof uh, of work. Yeah, proof of work. Yeah, I'm eating like, oh my God, I eat so much. And I focus so much on what I'm eating and the vitamins I take. And we see the result through my breast milk and how healthy Keon is. Every time we take him to the doctor, they tell us how great he's doing. All, all that's proof of work, right? That's all proof of work. All right. That's well. the original proof of work. All right. Well, my boss is actually calling, so I need to go. listening to the show. Now let's get you set up on Fountain so you can start earning money simply by listening to podcasts. It's time to join the Fountainhead Nation. Go to Fountain.fm to download the app onto your phone. Once you've installed the app and have set up your account, search for Flirting with Bitcoin and follow us. You should also be able to find and follow every other podcast you listen to as well. Listen to our show and episodes from your other favorite podcasts to earn your first sats, which are fractions of a Bitcoin. And keep an eye out for our promoted episodes on Fountain's homepage. We promote every episode so you can earn up to 100 sats just for listening. Yeah, that's right. Your attention's valuable to us. You're not just a set of earballs we've collected for advertisers. You can use the sats you've earned to send us a boost, which is like a little payment with a message. We are very active and respond to almost all the boosts we get. Every episode, we also give a shout out to the top boosters from the previous episode. And if you want to support us or other podcasters with more sats than you earn, you can top up your fountain wallet with a bank card or a lightning transfer from apps like Strike or Cash App. The easiest way to learn is to just get started. If you have any trouble or questions, go to support.fountain.fm. The team is extremely helpful and responsive. That's it. Now you're all set up for podcasting 2.0.